even before he's even born, 200 years before that, whose right hand I take hold of, to subdue nations before him and to strip kings of their armor, to open doors before him so that gates will not be shut. Here's our verses. I will go before you and will level the mountains. I will break down gates of bronze and cut through bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches stored in secret places, so that you may know that I am the Lord, the God of Israel, who summons you by name. Father, I pray you utilize this half hour, 35 minutes or so for the verse of your gospel, the edification of your body, and Lord God, the salvation of souls here today, but also in the future, Lord God. We come against the powers of Babylon. We come against the, the, the powers of Mammon. We pray that you would be loosened here, Lord God. Your name would be glorified. And Lord God, the finances would pour in to this ministry and use for the fruits of your gospel. In Jesus' name, I pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Praise God. We're going to be dealing a little bit with finances here today, but also the life of, of King Cyrus, okay? And how many know that we need finances? Yes, Amen. yes we do. Uh, and sometimes, again, when we talk about money, everybody gets real funny. But I guarantee you, if you pay attention to this sermon and you apply to what's going to happen right now, and I pray that we do, we can do it personally, but we can also do it corporately. And that's my prayer, that we would, this would be a corporate sermon that we would all learn to work together, some of us being Cyrus's and some of us being Daniel's, who would get on his knees three times a day. Now, the media, of which my wife was talking about earlier, it is constantly tells us about so many shortages, a number of shortages, shortages of food, shortages of long sermons, <clears throat> shortages of, uh, you know, of, of finances, shortages of, uh, of oil, of water, but especially of money. The media is always saying that there's a shortage on everything. But let me tell you. In studying for this sermon, I have found out that there's enough money on this planet here today to make everybody on this planet a millionaire. There is. But they don't want you to know that. Uh, because it's like Isaiah 45, 2 and 3 says, it's hidden in secret places. Uh, treasures out of darkness that will be yours if you do what God prescribes here. See, in the case of money, it's the church that really uh, reminds us of shortages of money. And I'm going to remind you here today too. We don't have enough money. And many times that's the case. But the truth of the matter is that regarding finances, there really is no shortage at all. See, the fact is that most people, most money lays in the hands of certain few rich moguls. That's where most of the money's at. In the hands of a few. Bull-tie, bull-tie millionaires, if you will. See, once money is created... It doesn't just disappear. Uh, it, it gets actually hidden away, stored away for secret agendas. That's what happens to it. Remember the savings and loan scandal that happened a few years back? That guy that had to go to Milken, that had to go do some time? Uh, he's, he milked him. What a name, uh, Milkham. Milkham. Milkham milked him. Uh, he's out of jail now. Uh, but that money, there was a lot of money. They didn't find it. It's hidden someplace. That's always the world system. It's called the Babylonian system. We're going to get to it in just a little bit. But there's money. It's hidden away. Treasures in darkness where you can't really get to it. Uh, stored away. Proverbs 13.22 says, you know, God's going to use uh, the money of the world that's been stored away. Uh, he's going to give it to the righteous. Those that walk upright. He's going to take the money from those that are in darkness and give it to those that are upright. Proverbs 13, 22 says that. Okay, let's look at Isaiah 39. 
Isaiah 39. We're going to backtrack from Isaiah 45 here. Quite a bit of scripture. Ordinarily, I don't do this, but today, I got to show you some stuff here. Some material that I ran into, and I want to bring it out here. Isaiah 39. And then we're going to be going forward back to Isaiah 45. It says there, at the time, Merodach Baladin, son of Baladin, king of ba where? Babylon, sent Hezekiah letters and a gift. Okay, Hezekiah was a king of Judah. He was a Jew. Because he had heard of his illness and recovery. Remember Hezekiah in, verse, in chapter 38. Hezekiah was about to die and he prayed to God. God gave him more time and God gave him 15 more years. You read about that before? God gave him 15 more years. So when he got 15 more years, he let his guard down. Parents, don't let your guards down. Send your kids to college. Store up stuff uh, for your children. That's what I'm going to be talking about today. I'm talking about your future. Uh, as I'm talking to you, I see a young lady raising up a little baby. and hey, Those little babies are precious. Because right now we don't have, you know, kitties. We don't have stuff to be able to send them to college. One day we are. That's what this sermon is all about here. About our future. The generations to follow us. Do you follow me? Yeah. Verse 2. Hezekiah received the envoys that were sent from, from Babylon. Okay. He received them gladly. And showed them what was in the storehouses. The silver, the gold, the spices, the fine oil. His entire armory. And everything found among his treasures. There was nothing in his palace or in all his kingdom that Hezekiah did not show to the envoys from Babylon. Uh, then Isaiah the prophet went to King Hezekiah and asked, What did these men say and where did they come from? From a distant land, Hezekiah replied, They came to me from Babylon. The prophet asked, What did they see in your palace? They saw everything in my palace, Hezekiah said. There is nothing among my treasures that I did not show them. Then Isaiah said to Hezekiah, Hear the word of the Lord Almighty. The time will surely come. When everything in your palace and all that your fathers have stored up until this day will be carried off to Babylon. Nothing will be left, says the Lord. And some of your descendants, your own flesh and blood, who will be born to you will be taken away and they will become eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. The word of the Lord, you have spoken is good, Hezekiah replied. For he thought there will be peace and security in my lifetime. So what if Esteban doesn't get all this stuff? At least I want to be okay. <laughs> Fool. Nut. Crazy. See, we've nearly all heard about Israel's Babylonian captivity of 70 years. That happened about 130 years after this writing. Bondage that they were involved in. Oh, by, the, by the rivers of Babylon. Babylon. Babylon stands for captivity. Well, this is where its root began. This is where the Babylonian captivity started there in Isaiah 39. When King Hezekiah either, listen to this, in ignorance or in arrogance, I think both. He allowed the representatives of the younger nation of Babylon... To come and to see and to view his vast domain and all of his wealth. Really what he allowed him to see, if you study this, is Solomon's temple. He allowed him to see all the splendor of Solomon's temple. Either in his ignorance or in his arrogance. I think it was both. He strikes me as a very arrogant and dumb guy. <laughs> Ignorant guy. Because that was a dumb move. Parents, don't think that what you're, man, you, you, you got to be smart. You got to be sharp protecting your children. Very important. See, Isaiah had been trying to tell his Jewish heritage, his people, and more specifically, he wanted to tell King Hezekiah that Judah's key enemy at this time was currently the Assyrian government, the Assyrian nation. But he says, it's not the Assyrians. They're going to conquer you a little bit. But it's not the Assyrians, he's telling them. It's the Babylonian Empire. They were just small at that time. But they sent an emissary to go and an envoy to go over there and, you know, hey, Hezekiah, you made it. You're not dead. 
Uh, so the guy was so happy that he wasn't going to die, he did a boo-boo. He messed up. But Isaiah's telling him, uh, your real enemies are Babylon. See, from the very beginning, Babylon has always stood, and if you're taking notes, write this down, for the world system. Anti-God world order. Babylon. That's what it's always stood for. Matter of fact, I think it's uh, Saddam Hussein just recently redid the, the city of Babylon. It's, it's back up again. Uh, it's right near the Euphrates River again in, in, in Iraq. There's a Babylon again. But that's the city. But there's a world system that infiltrates even in Vallejo, even in the Bay Area, everywhere. See, they are the people that were becoming so strong back in the days in Genesis, the Babylonians. They're the ones that had the Tower of Babel. Remember, they wanted to become uh, like God. They wanted to be higher than God. And they were getting so powerful, the book of Genesis says, that if God would not have come down and stricken them with different languages, they would have become too strong. Right away, God stemmed them because these were powerful people. These are the people that Isaiah says, man, come on. You don't study the scriptures. Don't you know who they are? They're going to write. They, they, these guys won't settle for second best. These guys want, they're like Hitler. They want it all. You got to be careful. Don't worry about the Assyrians. It's these dudes. This Babylonian system. Matter of fact, Babylon's roots come from the giants of Genesis chapter 6. Remember Genesis chapter 6? And then we read it. Ooh, the giants that came stood, you know, 11 feet and 12 big old giants. Uh, well, they came from the rebellion that happened in heaven, satanic, satanic rebellion that came down here to earth. That's where the roots of Babylon lay. Are you with me? You got to stay awake for this one. Uh, that's where they, they're rooted at. Genesis 6. These guys were mean motor scooters, and they're still around today. Nimrod, you heard of Nimrod? Uh, he, was the, he was the founder there of, of Babylon. See, we can trace even the current, uh, uh, you know, credit and the current interest financial system back to Babylon. I did my homework on the sermon. The credit system, uh, the interest system, the banking system, it was all came back. It's rooted in Babylon. How many have credit today? You're part of the Babylonian Empire. Uh, he got you. They got you. The Nimrod. Uh, and listen, really, it's one of our goals is to see us debt-free. But I'm getting near the end of the sermon. I don't get there yet. Uh, but we need to be like that. We can't have Babylon controlling us. And we're not going to have it. It's going to happen, I'm telling you. Because Cyrus is part of our anointing. See, Babylon has always been a symbol of financial power on this planet. Babylon. Financial power. And in our world system, money is power. Money represents dominance and it represents control. He that controls the pocketbook controls the world. Money, that's the bottom line. And since back in those days, money has continually been stored and hidden away in banks, in vaults, in trusts, in private fortunes, and even in organized crime. That's the money we're going to be dealing with here today. Because the current system that's happening right now, you know, the, 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 you know just the money that's out there, that's okay. We need that to survive and, and to go on. But there's hidden riches in secret places. That's the money we're going to zero in on today. We're going to do war against that, people. I mean, I, I, that's what I said. I think this sermon can be a, quite a turning point in Victor Arch's history. That th we're going to start doing war against that mammon. That, where's that riches in secret place? We're going to come against that thing. Because God's going to raise up modern-day Daniels. Let's go on. But are you getting ready? 
from drug lords to oil tycoons. The Babylonian system has set the norm and the pace for hiding away wealth. It started way back then. Hiding the wealth, you know, in the, in the Swiss banks. Uh, in order, my friend, to, to secure and to continue, the citizens of even the modern Babylon world today and to rule the world. That's what that money's for. It's been set apart to rule and dominate and control the world. All that money that's hidden away, that's what it's for. And I'll prove it to you in just a little bit. In Matthew 6, 24, Danny quoted that verse here earlier. Christ makes the statement that, that many of us have heard before. You cannot serve two masters, both God and mammon or money. It's odd that Jesus would say that. Instead of, he could have said, you cannot serve both God and Satan. He didn't say that. He didn't say God and Satan. He said God and money. See, and the reason is because of this. Money is a spirit. And he gave it a name called mammon. And that spirit of money, of mammon, is a lot like the Holy Spirit, what the Holy Spirit is to Christians. Doesn't the Holy Spirit give us power? I mean, I enjoyed hearing Chuck and his, his group singing. I mean, I feel it. I, I feel, I, I mean, I, I, you know, I, I love good music. You know, dun, 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 dun. And I'm out there, I'm going like this, and people are saying, man, what a crazy elder. Look at dun, dun, dun. And, I, and there's something, dun, dun, dun. If you can take like that, I don't know, but me, dun, dun, dun. I mean, there's something inside of me. It set me free. 26 years ago almost. See, and what the Holy Spirit is to the Christian, that's what money is to the secular non-believer. It's his power. It's his dun, dun, dun. Think back when you weren't saved. Well, it's Friday night, and I just got paid. Dun, 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 dun. Uh, uh, dun, 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 dun. And I'm on Sunday night when you're walking home. No more dun, dun, dun. It's dun, 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 dun in Spanish. Which means dummy, dummy, you know. <laughs> you just spend it all. Uh, well, it's Sunday night, I ain't got no cash. Uh, see, that's what money is to the non-believer. It's power. Uh, it's a source. Uh, the Holy Spirit is our source. Our all in all. And to the world, that's what money is. It's its power. What the Holy Spirit is to the church, money is to the non-believer. Babylon is always greedy for more money. Because more money, more power. It feeds off of finances. Babylon must have money to survive, to thrive. I just said a big statement. That's how you feed Babylon. It has to have money in order to survive and to thrive. Not only just to survive, but to thrive and go on. So in Isaiah 38 and 39, we read that. We see a lesson that needs to be learned by every Christian. See, King Hezekiah of Judah, he should have been more protective of his wealth and of his kingdom and his domain for his heritage and for his children and for his people. But by showing this Babylon entourage all of his wealth, he opened the door for his enemy to catch an eye uh, and set its heart on that money. He showed him all of Solomon's temple. And the Babylonians checked it out and said, Oh, oh you're rich now. 
But someday, I'm coming back for that thing. He went back. He doesn't say in the Bible, but you, you could imagine what he did. He went back and told everybody. You know, the other guy made it. All, but you know what? They got some bucks, them Jews. Uh, them Jews shall sho sell shoes, and they make some money. Uh, and we need it. We got it. We got to have it. So throughout the years, they would already begin to plan what they were going to do uh, to attack Judah and get their money. See, we Christians are responsible for our children and for their well-being and for their future. We need, my friend, to, to safeguard and to take care of all that belongs to us, all of our belongings. Uh, but Hezekiah, ignorantly, he forfeited that. He was the king. Us parents are supposed to take care of our family. He was supposed to take care of all the families of Judah. But he lets the enemy see what he has. Us victorious people, we need to safeguard the future of our children. Even at the cost of our own lives. It's worth it. Devil over my dead body. And I'm still breathing. Because my son had me breathe in and breathe out. And I'm still here. And I'm part of the gang. You ain't going to have my hair. You ain't going to have my church. You ain't going to have my You ain't going to have this. They belong to God. Resolute. Don't let your guard down. It starts in the home, home directors. And when you become staff, you're already working for God. Uh, can I know because I've been through the home. I felt, uh, you know, I felt the responsibility. I'm a staff member now. Dun, dun, dun. You know. And now I'm the same way with my church. Dun, dun, dun. You know, hey, come on, devil. Uh, we got to watch out. Safeguard for our children. But Hezekiah didn't do that. So then Isaiah, the prophet, he goes on to prophesy the very impending captivity of the Jews to Babylon. He goes on to name everything from the time and the place to the nation and to the race. 200 years before it happened. He prophesies this. But he also goes on to tell how their freedom will come. Uh, and he even gives the name of the person's name 100 years before it even happens. Look at Isaiah 44, verse 28. Isaiah 44, verse 28. Do you have it? It says there, who says of who? Cyrus, he is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. He will say of Jerusalem, let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundations be laid. Now jump, to, jump down to chapter 45, verse 4. For the sake of Jacob, my servant of Israel, my chosen, I summon you by name and bestow on you a title of honor, though you do not acknowledge me. Verse 13. I will raise up Cyrus in my righteousness. I will make all his ways straight. He will re rebuild my city and set my exiles free. But, none for, but not for a price or reward, says the Lord Almighty. In other words, he's going to do this, but he don't have no price. He's going to do it to you for free. Free of charge. He's not going to ask no reward. He's not going to ask no money. He's just going to set you free and let you go. That's what Jesus did to us when he set us free. He didn't say, well, no, 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 you got to pay me. No. Cyrus was a type of forerunner of Christ as well. Now, and stay with me here. This prophecy eventually came to pass 100 years later. And the book of Daniel in chapter 1, it refers to how it happened. Daniel chapter 1. All that Isaiah had said in chapters 38 and 39 
happened pretty much verbatim in the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Are you with me? I said stay with me. We're going someplace here. But the rise of King Cyrus of Persia, okay, was about to happen. And Daniel, Daniel, who was a man of prayer, was a big, big key in the raising up of King Cyrus. Cyrus was going to come up. See, but Daniel, he was, he, he was a student of, of history. And what had happened? He had read Jeremiah chapter 50. He had read Isaiah chapters 38 and 45 and on. He knew someday a guy named Cyrus was going to come and surface and be raised up. So in Daniel chapter 1, he talks about that. But what he does is what people did on Ruth Road before Victor Eric got to Hayward. Many of you don't know our heritage, but I, I know a little bit about our heritage. I'm, when I took history in, in high school and in, in grade school, I always got an A in history. I could flunk recess, but history... I mean, I don't know what it is about history. I love history. I'd read books. I love to read about history. That's the way Daniel was. He knew his history. When we came to Hayward, there was a group of about five to eight women that used to pray on Roos Road every Wednesday, I think it was, in the morning. They would use one of the churches there and say, God, look at what's happening in Weeks Park. God, look at Weeks Park. It's, and somebody used to hang out there from Hayward. Uh, and I heard about that. Shame, shame. Everybody knows your name, Cyrus. <laughs> uh, it's worth buying the tape just for what I just told you. You won't understand it until you have to get it, Cyrus. Uh, you're out there vagabonding. But they were praying. That's what Daniel did. He says, it's got to happen. These women were praying. Saying, if it happened in New York, if it happened in L.A., it can happen in Hayward. If it happened in New York, if it happened in L.A., if it happened in Vallejo, if it happened in Hayward, it can happen in Australia. It can happen in, you know, Cape Town, South Africa, where we're going in July. It can happen all these places. But somebody has to have that Daniel anointing, that Daniel call, and get on their knees and pray us in. we got to pray this thing in. It's not just going to fall on our laps. It's going to take work and effort and prayer. Uh, that's what was happening here. Daniel was a man of prayer. Prayer always plays a part in prophecy. You can read about it, you can study it, but if you don't pray, it ain't going to happen. Look at 2 Chronicles 36. A lot of Bible here today. We're going someplace. Second Chronicles 36. Verses 16 through 23. This is, if you have the NIV, it says the fall of Jerusalem. This is how and when it happened. This is talking about God's people, the Jewish people, Judah. It says there, but they mocked God's messengers, despised his words, and scoffed at his prophets until the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and there was no remedy. In other words, they were supposed to till the land for six years and then let it go free for a year. But can you imagine being a farmer? And, and they were, that was just one of the rules. There was a number of rules and regulations and things that they had to do that they weren't following now, according to the Old Testament scripture, because they, they didn't have faith. In other words, you, you till for six years, you have it pretty good. No, I can't till. I can't. If I stop tilling it this year, I'm not going to have no crop and I'm not going to eat. That's no faith. That's fear. So they weren't following the regulations of God. Verse 17. He brought up against them the king of the Babylonians who killed their young men with a sword in the sanctuary and spared neither young man nor woman, old man or aged. God handed them all of them over to Nebuchadnezzar. He carried to Babylon all the articles from the temple of God. See? both large and small, and the treasures, the treasure that he put in darkness, of the Lord's temple, and the treasures of the king and his officials. They set fire to God's temple, 
and broke down the wall of Jerusalem. They burned all the palaces and destroyed everything of value there, desolate cities, of which we're going to be populating soon and very soon. He carried in exile the Babylonian remnant who escaped from the sword, and they became servants to him and his sons until the kings of Persia came, until the king of Persia came to power. The land enjoyed its Sabbath rests all the time of its desolation. It rested until the 70 years were completed in fulfillment of the word of the Lord spoken by who? Jeremiah. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and to put it in writing. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem and Judah. Any one of his people among you, may the Lord his God be with him and let him, and let him go up. See, what Isaiah and Jeremiah had prophesied, okay, Isaiah did it first, and then Jeremiah built on it. And Isaiah, Jeremiah 50 and 51, he built on this. And Daniel understood this. And then it happened here, okay, in Second Chronicles 36. And it also talks about it in Daniel chapters 5 and, and, and chapter 6. It refers to this. But what was it that caused the great Babylonian kingdom to crumble and to fall? What happened? See, it would do us all a great good to understand this and to know this. So that in the same biblical example and through the same biblical blueprint, we as a ministry, we as, a, as Christian people, we could follow it as well. And caused the very same thing to happen today with the world network and the world empire of Babylon and of money. I don't think you heard me. Some of the pastors did. But if we study this, we can do the very same thing. And we're going to do it. It's going to happen. It's going to, because, let's go on. Kick the doors down. Pasa. Watch. It's going to happen. But for this, we need to, to get a background on King Cyrus and who he is and who he was. See, Cyrus's history, the bit sketchy history that we have, but yet there's quite a bit there. His father was a Mede, a Midianite king from the Medes. His mother was a Persian queen, okay? His, his father was the king of the Medes. His mother was a queen of the Persians. And when he was born, his grandfather, who was the, Midianite, the, the Midian king there in Persia, he tried to kill him. Because he had a vision that this guy had, a, had a, uh, like a grapevine all around the Midianite kingdom. So he said, oh, this can't happen. So he tried to kill his great-grandson. His grandson. He tried to have him killed. But he escaped. The fathers took him and they gave him to some shepherds. So for 10 years, he grew up as a shepherd. Did you hear Jose's sermon the other time? When he talked about peasants, remember that? Well, he grew up like a peasant. He was a king, destined to be king, but he grew up for 10 years as a shepherd. Uh, he knew what it's like. He knew what it's like to suffer. Anybody here know what it's like to suffer? Then this sermon is right up your alley. No wonder God called you to make marriage. Uh, he was raised by shepherds as a shepherd. But when Cyrus takes over and he becomes king, history tells us that he did not have his grandfather who was still alive. His father had died, but his grandfather was still alive. He didn't have his grandfather killed. He spared his grandfather and let him eat at his table. He took care of him real nicey-nicey because he was a nice guy. Good king. And this is where Cyrus's reputation, uh, it began to, to, to surface and regarding his, 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 his conquered foes. In other words, when he would conquer somebody, he treated them well and he treated them with class. I like that. 
Now we got to have some class of victory. Raise the standard in. You know, hey, brother, the way you treated me, uh-uh. An eye for an eye. And a penny for a penny. Uh, listen, people, when we rule, we got to be good. We got to do it great. Man, I can identify with this. I don't know about you. But growing up in my neighborhood and back in my history, I'm 50 years old today. But I remember being in kindergarten and then being in, in first grade. And all of a sudden, they, they send us off. In first grade, from our Barbara Webster school, where mostly people of my pigmentation went to. <laughs> then they sent us off to McKibbitt School, where there was other pigmentation people. <laughs> we are going to have a fight the first day. But they put me, the leader, and the leader of <clears throat> that other pigmentation. We were working together in the cafeteria. We're going to down those guys. And they're waiting for Doug Stewart. Well, I gave up his pigmentation. Uh, uh, and me and Doug look at each other. We're like, would it be like Holmes, you know? And we told him, no, there's not going to be no fight, guys. You guys want to have a, you know what? This fella of a different pigmentation, he's an all right fella. That was God moving back then. I didn't even know that. Uh, Matter of fact, there was a guy by the name of Adam Clayton Powell, black brother, that fought for years. Later on, I seen a, a, in the uh, arts and entertainment uh, station how this guy fought and fought and fought from New York City to finally have integration. Thank God for Adam Clayton Powell. Uh, it was a soul brother that got a chicken and a white man together in the first grade. Uh, but I know what it's like to be down like this. And living in, in, you know, in, in poverty and in a shepherd kind of a mentality. And I always said, and many of you know me today, if I ever get to the point in any kind of leadership on this planet, I want to be a just leader. I want to be fair. That's what, that's a, matter of fact, that's what I want to be known as. If anything comes, I want to be a fair kind of a leader. And I think I, I try to be. Many of you know because you guys come to me and all kinds of stuff. I'll just leave it at that stuff. And I try to be a fair guy. I, hey, well, let's, let's bring it on the table. Let's see what's going to happen here. and Let me see what I, how I feel. But I always said that. That's the way Cyrus was. I identify with Cyrus. I can imagine. Here he is. He's a shepherd. He's born to be a king, but now he's a shepherd. He knew what it was like to be able to take a punch. He, he knew what it was to eat, to, to eat, you know, shepherd's bread without punch. That's how you can take a punch. When you ain't got no food on the table, uh, just water and a jam sandwich. You know what a jam sandwich is? Two pieces of bread jammed together. <laughs> See, finally and eventually, Cyrus conquers Babylon, according to prophecy. And it was said of him that whenever he take over a nation, this is what people would say about him. All men rejoiced. Whenever he would take power, he would conquer a nation. It was said of him that all men rejoiced, whether you were the, the, the enemy that had been conquered or the soldiers that fought for him. All people rejoiced because they knew this guy's fair. This guy's just. Man, do we identify with this Cyrus. I mean, we're going to be going to Australia. We're already there. And I want to know that Cyrus is in town. And we're fair and we're just. They're figuring it out in Manila already. Man, if they'd only get it in Hayward. 
Hallelujah. Ah. But he was a very generous man, even to those that had been defeated. Thus, listen to this, when he would fight in battle, most of the opposing army soldiers, uh, they would not fight that hard because they knew if they lost, usually an opposing army, whenever they lost, it was, they were going to kill you. If you lost and they were not going to capture you, you were going to die. But they wouldn't fight that hard against the Persians because they knew Cyrus was a fair guy. Even if we don't win, we're going to live. So they wouldn't fight that hard. I'll fight. Like, okay, you got me, Cyrus. Uh, give me some money, you know. Uh, I like burritos. He was known as a nice guy. What a rep- His reputation preceded him. Victory outreach, our reputation precedes us. What kind of reputation are we going to have? Ah. Uh, and Cyrus, he was known for allowing the conquered nations to still, listen to this, to still honor and to worship their gods uh, that they believed in. Because Cyrus believed this. Cyrus believed that religion was more powerful than government. He knew that. So he says, listen, if you can still honor and worship your gods, he wasn't going to mess with religion. If only America understood that. But it's just as important as Cyrus in his role of liberation for Judah, Daniel also had a major hand in the release uh, of Judah because he was a man of prayer. Just as Cyrus understood the earthly and secular methods and the, the earthly techniques, Daniel understood the spiritual techniques. Daniel understood what it was to be in the spirit. Cyrus was a master at the secular methods, but Daniel was a master at the spiritual methods. You prayer warriors, I'm talking to you. Uh, Even right now, if I do pretty good, it ain't me. It's you prayer warriors. Yeah, I've said it before. Bad preaching is God's curse on a prayerless congregation. It ain't me. Yes, I prayed, I drew my prayer, but hey, there has to be prayer warriors out there that I can, you know, what do they do that, what do they call that when you fall on those guys in the concert? Mosh. What is it? That's what I'm doing. Me and Daniel in the spirit. You pray, you pray your words, catch me. Amen, brother. Can't go. <laughs> Too many burritos. <laughs> well, pray harder. Hallelujah. Uh, pray harder then. <laughs> but Daniel understood prophecy. He understood intercession. He understood spiritual warfare, of which we need to. When you read Daniel's chapters 9, 10, and 11, we can see that Daniel knew. Uh, he understood that. And he knew that freedom was just around the corner. He said, Isaiah prophesied about this. Jeremiah talked about it. He says, now it's about to happen. It's going to happen. It won't be long before Cyrus comes around the corner. So Daniel sets himself to prayer and to fasting. And he puts sackcloth on himself. And he prays. And he begins by praying for the repentance of his people. He repents. We should have not tilled the soil that seventh year. We should have followed all these Old Testament rules and regulations. And there were 613 of them. Remember that. We, we broke every one of them and then some. So when he first prays, he says himself to repentance. That's where it all starts. We need to repent. But he repents not only for his sins, but for the sins of his people. That's why we need to stand in the gap. Praying for, man, our, our people have been so proud. How people have been, no, God forgive us, I'm sorry. We'd, we're going we're gonna to set the stage, we're going to set the norm here. We're going to raise up warriors of your word in the neighborhood. 
not just dope fiends and, and, and hope fiends and, and, and gang members. And, you know, we're repent, God. We're going to raise up preachers and, and lunch pail picker-uppers. Uh, soldiers and, and, and fathers and mothers that are not going to run when under the gun. So he repents. That's so key. See, Israel hadn't been obeying as they should have. My friend, so when this angel, the angel Gabriel appears in Daniel chapter 9. He appears to Daniel. And he comes through heavenly warfare that has already taken place in the heavenlies. The Bible speaks about that. Where the archangels, Gabriel and Michael, they fight against the Persian Babylonian kingdom. That's what happens in, in Daniel chapter 9. Okay? They fight against the power and the prince of Babylon. They fight against the power and the prince of Persia in the spirit world. And that's where Isaiah 45, 2 and 3 comes to pass. Uh, but Isaiah 45, 2 and 3 could not have taken place or happened without Daniel's intercession. Augie and Maria are so right on in our ministry. They are so right on. Those of you that went to the prayer retreat that we just had a couple of weeks ago, that is so right on for our ministry. That is right God's timing. Because it can't happen without intercession. Deep intercession. Real intercession. That's what Daniel... Man, I hope you see it. We have to have some Daniels here that can see God's doing... My wife just said something's going to happen. She's prophetic. I took that as of the Lord. She says, God's going to do a new thing. Boy, is he. Uh, but you got to see it, Daniel. And you got to pray for that thing. Pray it in. Uh, are you with me? See, both Daniel and Cyrus, they were responsible for these great victories. See, you victory outreach intercessors, you along, along with the soldiers and the leaders are responsible for the great victories of our past, our present, and of our future. Thus, now, Victor Arich, uh, we're called to operate under the Cyrus anointing. Are you with me? We're called to operate under this anointing of Cyrus. Remember, and we need to see here, okay, though Cyrus, he'd become a king, but he'd become a king after he'd, be, after he'd been a shepherd. And after Cyrus, my friend, when, whenever Cyrus... Once he died, whenever a king of Persia would be crowned, you know how they would be crowned, all, all the rest of the Persian kings after him? They would put on a shepherd's garb, a shepherd's outfit, and they would eat common food on the day of their, uh, their crowning. They didn't have a real crown. What they would put on now, because Cyrus had been such a good king, they would put on the wardrobe of a shepherd, the king would, that's how he would be crowned, and he would eat a common meal that the people would eat. But when Cyrus conquered Babylon, okay, almost skipped a page, uh-uh. Why would he put on a shepherd's gear? In order to show that they could take the hard times and they were able to identify with common people. Doesn't that sound like Victor Outreach? Oh, I mean, we can identify. We can put on a shepherd's garb. We can identify with the common people. And that's what the king of Persia was supposed to do. Look at Isaiah 45.13. I'm getting close to closing. What does that mean? Okay, good, 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 good. But this is a very important sermon. Very important sermon to me. Very important. Isaiah 45.13. Truly you are a God who hides himself, O God and Savior of Israel. Jeremiah 51, 57. 
Turn to Jeremiah 51, verse 57. Jeremiah 51, the 57th verse. Do you have it? Well, then you're faster than me. I will make her officials and wise men what? Her governors, officers, and warriors as well. They will sleep forever and not awake, declares the king, whose name is the Lord Almighty. Very important verse. I'm going to tell you why. This is how Cyrus, the king of Persia, conquered Belshazzar and the Babylonian Empire. Remember there in Daniel chapter 5, I believe it is, when they had the writing on the wall? He says, you have been found wanting in the balance. Uh, well, see, what had happened there was that the Babylon thought they were big and bad. They were having a party. They were having a rave of all race. This rave ain't nothing compared to the Babylonian raves. Uh, they, they were raving it up. And then they got all drunk, as had it been predicted and prophesied years before in Jeremiah 51, 57. See, and the ones that were getting drunk were all the dignitaries of the city. The dignitaries, guess where they hung out? At the city gates. Where the commerce, he that controls the gate, controls the wealth. Because they, they, would, they ran the city. They would overlook the city and they ran everything. See? They were the ones that controlled. If you could get through them, you could get to the vaults. The riches hidden in secret places. With all the booby traps and all that stuff. That's where the money was. See? And so these guys got all drunk. And what happened was the Persian Empire was able just to come right in and take over. That simple and that easy. Uh, See, they gave in to the flesh. Yet, he that controlled the gate controlled the city. Now, now Isaiah 45 could come to pass. It could happen now. Okay? I got to give you more scripture. Please, stay with me. Are you going to stay with me? Okay, I only got a few more pages here. Jeremiah 50. Jeremiah 50. Got to give you more scripture. Verse 26. 50 verse 26. I got to... Write this out for us. Jeremiah 50, verse 26. Come against her from afar. Break open her granaries. Pile her up like heaps of grain. Completely destroy her and leave her no remnant. Verse 37. Verse 37 of chapter 50. A sword against her horses and chariots and all the foreigners in her ranks. They will become women. A sword against her treasures. They will be plundered. Treasures out of darkness. See, the treasures and hidden riches in the secret places, stored in secret places, were the things that the kings would hide. They would guard them. They would booby trap all of these riches in certain places. And they would do it for a certain reason. The reason being was mainly to continue their reign and their heritage for their children and their children's children and also for times of war. Did you hear what I said? That's why even today, the Babylonian world system hides these things in secret places because it needs money to fight the church. The fighters. We're at war. If you don't know that. It's a spiritual war, you Daniels. But that's, that's always been like that. Nations control their money. They hide it. 
if they allow the currency that's happening over here to be, you know, for the regular population, but it always keeps it just in case to control, to continue their heritage and give it to their children, and also just in case of war. But when Cyrus conquered Babylon, he allowed the Jews, listen to this, to go back and rebuild the temple, rebuild the city, and to take all the money, because that's what the Bible says here, that had been taken from them. It was 3,354,000,000 dollars. That's not including all the treasures, all the ornaments, all the, all the other stuff. Okay, all the jewelry, no. $354 million back in those days. That was billions and trillions and trillions of dollars for today. That's what they had taken from Solomon's temple. So when Cyrus comes and frees them, gives them their liberty, he gives them the money to the penny to go rebuild their cities. That's when he says, remember it said in the prophecy, I'm going to release you and I'm not going to charge you. It's all going to be free. A matter of fact, not only free, I'm going to give you back all the money they took from you. That's what's waiting for us. And by the way, those of you, I'm talking about money, but those of you that are churches that are darkness, you know why God saved you? To go rebuild cities. To go rebuild temples. To go rebuild walls. To listen to sermons like this. Get it through your nugget. Learn to grow and evolve in the things of God. Sermons like this are very important. Uh, don't fall asleep on this one. Or else you will be a treasure in darkness. Ah, you're going to be set free. Why do you think we're going to Manila? Why do you think we're going to Asia? Because we've been set free. We're a treasure out of darkness. But the reason he gave the treasure back was to go rebuild. Not to sit back and say, hey, man, I've been set free, bro. Hey, how nice, man. Uh, how many inch TV set you got? <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> This isn't our church. <laughs> uh, oh, God. But in regards to the actual interpretation of Babylon and the money and the treasures, we need to see that Babylon was a cruel, cruel tyrant. How many times I remember walking home when I was a drug addict saying, man, the world is cruel. You ever said that to yourself? There's a cruel world. Uh, you don't got to be Ray Charles to see that. My God, or not see that, whatever, you know. I mean, I remember many times, man, what a cruel, that's, that's the way it should be. That's the way Babylon is. It's a cruel tyrant. It's not your friend. Cyrus is, but not, not Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar laid waste to the cities and left a number of them desolate. That's why Isaiah 54 says, your descendants are going to populate desolate cities. Sydney and Melbourne and, and Cebu. Don't get all scared when I say that city. Cebu. That's the second largest city besides Quezon City in, in, in the Philippines. And they need, worse than Manila, they need a victory outreach there. Uh, see, if anyone knows and understands these scriptures, it's victory outreach. These scriptures are tailor-made for us. See, Babylon left the Jews powerless, penniless, and impotent. That's what the world system always tries to do to the church. Uh, they sure did it to, to people like us. Penniless, impotent, uh, powerless. Now we have, you know, once a drug addict, always a drug addict. But now, it's time for a change. It's time for a change. You whiners, you. See, the actual battle and the war is over money. 
Sorry if you can't take money, but that's what it's all about. The battle is over the finances. We got plenty of people that, that with vision that want to do things for God. We don't got the mullah yet, but it's coming. We're a Cyrus anointed ministry. It's tailor-made for us. See, most of the churches, they have the inability, my friend, and all of their inabilities to, 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 you know, to evangelize the world, it all stems and it's all rooted for the lack of money. But the world has plenty of money for its evangelistic efforts and endeavors. Just watch your Super Bowl. And don't watch your Super Bowl. Watch the commercials. Two million dollars down the drain. Uh, I heard that one company banked all their money on just one commercial for the Super Bowl. They, waved, but they did it all, but they saved up, saved up just for one commercial because they banked on that, allowing them the commerce and the, the monopoly of all this different stuff, especially with the internet now. I mean, every commercial is the internet. Every commercial, if it wasn't beer, the Super Bowl, it was internet. That's telling us something. Money hidden in secret places. Ah. That's what, that's what happens. The Bay Area. We're going to be starting a record label in our, in our church. And we were talking to one of the brothers there, and he says, the Bay Area is the fourth largest listened to audience in the nation. But it's number one when it comes to money. They're behind New York, they're behind Los Angeles, and they're behind Texas when it comes to the listening. But when it comes to money, they're ahead of them. He said, you can't buy commercial time hardly at all in the Bay Area because the world has plenty of money. Uh, Ecclesiastes 10.19 says, money answers all things. Wouldn't it be great and so much, much better of the church, my friend, if we, didn't, if we ran the welfare system and the social service system, SSI was VO, we treated them a whole lot better. The, 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 the mayor in Manila figured that out. He said he does run the rehabs. Wouldn't the rehabs be run better a whole lot if, if the church ran it? It can happen. It should happen. It will happen. Because we're like Cyrus. We're good. We're not, you know, underhanding under the table and walling. Man, that happened in Decoro. They were running some, some you know, familia, something, something or something. And they were taking all the money, pilfering the money. The president. Aruka, you know, girl. You know. The vice president. You know who became president? Richard Prieto. You know who became vice president? Francisco Martinez. Victory Outreach. They know we ain't going to do it because we're reputable. There's plenty more where that came from. Uh, move over to Highland Hospital. Here we come. Uh, we'll keep the surgeons. But we're going to run them books. And we're going to have good people there running that place. Do you see it? Can you see it? It makes sense. That's the mayor in Manila. It's going to happen. But to the world, this would be its worst nightmare. Ah! Ah. But to us, it would be great to have, my friend, enough money to underwrite all of our evangelistic endeavors. The world will certainly oppose this, and they oppose wealthy churches. They hate that. Why do you think even Victor is being investigated? Where can they get the money? They're investigating SSI checks. They're taking the SSI checks. Come on, how can you, how can you live on $267 a month? <laughs> Let me have that fine tooth comb. 
and we don't even have that much money yet. But, but once we do, they're going to come even more. Uh, they're going to come with a fine-toothed tractor. But it's okay, it's okay. Maybe they'll get saved. It's all right. We ain't got nothing to hide. Uh, what are we going to do, hide Jesus? He's our front man. Uh, uh, we're just following him. Uh, you're going to fall on me. Praise the Lord. You're going to break him. Hallelujah. See, the world doesn't get upset when a casino builds them for other bucks. You know, when I was writing this, I was writing this on the freeway coming over here, and I saw the San Pablo Casino. They don't get mad at that. But, oh, the church, the church, where's their, where's their money going? Well, trace their money. Follow the money. It's going to Manila. So a lot of it's going to go to Manila tonight. It's going to help people. Uh, trace the money. Trace the money. No price. It's going to end up with a mandine. Many of you don't even know who he is. He was one of the first men in the Manila home. All along. And we got his picture too, praise God. Long hair. All, you know, he looked like a mandine. Now you know where he is. He's not with Victor right now. He's back in the provinces up there helping his own people. Up in the hills of, of the Philippines. Trace the money. Trace the money. Uh, but the, the world gets all upset over that. You know why? Because that money goes right into their system. The casino money. But let the church rise up with money to help other people. And literally all hell will break loose. Where's that money going to? Now, our job is to take the money from the world system and place it on God's system. Amen. That's the Cyrus principle. And victory average is a part of that. Uh, and we're supposed to be Daniels fighting in the battle, in the army. Maybe church, okay, doesn't have, you know, maybe we don't have significant funds like the world does. Maybe we don't have that. But it's time to take it back and then some. By force, by prayer, and by fasting and by giving. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 5, when you pray, when you fast, and when you give, it doesn't make it an option. It's just when. For some of you, it's still talking to you. When? <laughs> I'm waiting. It's not an option to give. It's not an option to pray. It's not an option to fast. But, and I've preached on this before, when prayer by itself is pretty good. Fasting by itself is pretty good. Giving by itself is pretty good. But when you combine it, it's a Holy Ghost combustion. Power. Uh, part hydrogen, part bomb. Uh, I wasn't too good in biology and all that stuff, so I don't know about that. I could cut frogs. I knew I could cut frogs. <laughs> but, I, you know, all that other stuff that I, I don't know. I like history. But science, you know, part hydrogen, two parts, you know. Ay, ay, ay. But, hey. We can get, you know, real, real calculus over here when it comes to prayer, fasting, and giving. When you combine them, it's a Holy Ghost combustion that takes place. Uh, and that's what God wants to do. God will raise a church and a people who are about to take back that hidden money, and, uh, including, you know, bank money, crime money, drug money, swindled money. But understand this and remember this, that that money will not be money that's being outused and circulated out right now. It's not going to be that kind of money. It's going to be money that's hidden. The best people that can understand this are farmers. How many can keep breathing for two more minutes? Three. Okay, good, good. Three, 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 three. Three and a half maybe, but three. 
Farmers understand this principle. See, they have what they call silos. They have their, they have their money that they, they work with. They have their grain, their seed that they work with. But then they have hidden in silos, stored up in secret place in their silos. Enough that if something should happen, a drought should come or something, they have enough to take care of their kids. Or if a war should break out or something, they're okay. That's the money we're after. That's the money we're going to get. We're not looking for the regular money that you got in your pocket right now and all that stuff. We're getting we're, we're, the money that the world has hidden up in those silos. This is the money will be used to support world evangelism. Uh, but the testing is going to be there. The church has shown that it can function under poverty. But now we're going to have to prove, Victor, how we can function under prosperity. That's a big test. Some of you talk to me, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the minute you get the money, dun, 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 That's not the Holy Ghost, dun, dun, dun. That's Babylon, dun, dun, dun. Uh, how are we going to function with prosperity now? We got to be ready for this. God's not going to give it to people that don't know how to handle it. He's going to run it through people that, that, that were faithful in the little, that tithed easily and all. It, was, it came supernaturally to them. These are the kind of people that God's going to use to finance His work, to bring in the blessings of God. Uh, they're the ones that are going to man the gates and control the wealth and manage the finances, that are going to be good like Cyrus, not greedy. Uh, I've always told you people, money's not my problem, and it's not. I got other issues. Uh, but money not. That's why I believe God's going to give us finances. You know, God spoke to me years ago. He says, I'm going to give you some money. And I've been waiting. 